you guys are clapping over money, giving to, because of it, it says that I came to the right campus this time. Tell somebody, you know what he said about you guys? <laughs> hey, it's so good to see you. And, and of course, uh, the video had to do with the issue of tithing. Tithing just means 10, 10%. Uh, let me share with you a story. There, was, there were two men shipwrecked on this island. The minute they got to the island, one of them started screaming and yelling, We're going to die. We're going to die. There's no food. There's no water. We're going to die. The second man was propped up against a palm tree and acting so calmly that it drove the first guy crazy. Don't you understand? We're going to die. The first man said, You don't understand, said the second man. I make $100,000 a week. The first man looked at him rather dumbfounded and asked, What difference does that make? We're on an island with no food and no water. We're going to die. The second man answered, You don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. I tithe. My pastor will find us. I will find you. <laughs> Believe me, I will find you. <laughs> we have been dealing with the last three weeks the subject of double blessing. And today I want to focus on the tithe challenge. The tithe challenge. Now, let me just uh, deal with some that already are raising up your defenses. I told you, honey... The only thing they want to talk about in church is money. Those that attend here regularly will tell you that beginning this year in January up till now, I have not spoken a message on tithing. So that means that for all these Sundays at the beginning of the year, I have not touched it. But then you got to understand something about Pastor Angel. Pastor Angel is not one of those preachers who gets all nervous on the Sunday in which he's going to talk about money. You know why? Because we've been here, my wife and I, going on 30 years this upcoming September. There are no scandals associated with finances related to your pastors. Why? Because I know that he is worthy of being honored. And then you... Martha Lowry is here. Would you raise your hand in case you don't know who Martha Lowry is? That's our treasure. She will tell you. She will confirm, Pastor Angel is faithful in bringing his tithes. I don't tell people to give without giving myself. Homie, don't play that. Amen? So there, now that we're all relaxed now, let me share with you concerning the tithe challenge. On July 30th, 1945, Time Magazine published an article about a rather fascinating experiment. It wasn't a science experiment like the Manhattan Project, which had tested the first atomic bomb two weeks before. It was an experiment of a very different nature. <clears throat> the hypothesis to be tested was a verse of Scripture, Malachi 3.10. 
Malachi 3.10, that reads, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The mad scientist was a businessman named Perry Hayden, the president of Hayden Flour Mills. He wanted to test the tithe in a unique way. But first, a little backstory. When he was 29 years old, Perry Hayden felt conflicted. He wanted to go into business, but he also wanted to be a missionary to China. Perry had no idea which path to pursue when he attended a conference in Columbus, Ohio. A conversation with one of the speakers after one of the sessions changed the trajectory of his life. After explaining the conundrum, the speaker said, Perry, go home and make all the money you can. Then give all the money you can. Perry's decision was made right then and there. In the months following that conference, someone sent Perry a pamphlet on tithing. He had grown up in church, but somehow he had never heard of the concept. He decided to take the tithe challenge and began to give God the first 10% of his income. It wasn't an easy decision, given the fact that his business was losing money at that time. But his business experienced such a significant turnaround in the wake of that decision that he felt like the turnaround could be attributed only to God. Many years later, Perry Hayden got a crazy idea while listening to a sermon based on John 12, 24, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Perry Hayden wanted to prove the veracity or truthfulness of this verse in a unique way and test the hypothesis in Malachi 3.10. That's where we double back to the experiment featured in Time magazine. On September 26, 1940, Perry Hayden planted 360 kernels of sturdy bald rock wheat seeds on a plot of ground measuring four by four feet. It may have been the world's smallest wheat field. He then vowed to tithe on the harvest one year later and to do so for six years according to the ancient Jewish agricultural laws found in Leviticus 25. Perry would sow the field for six years then let it Sabbath on the seventh year. In 1941, one square inch of kernels turned into 45 cubic inches after the tide. In 1942, they experienced a 55-fold yield, or 70 pounds. They tithed the wheat and replanted the remaining 63 pounds on a farm owned by Perry's friend, Henry Ford. In 1943... One acre of land yielded 16 bushels from one bushel of seed. 
Henry Ford provided the reaper and thresher. Then he provided his farm for the fourth planting. In 1944, 14 acres yielded 380 bushels. A tenth of the crop was tied and the rest was replanted. It took 230 acres and a fleet of 40 combines to harvest it in 1945. It yielded 5,555 bushels. At that point, after tithing on the fifth year's harvest, the 5,000 bushels of wheat was turned over to 276 farmers who planted them on 2,666 acres. Every one of those farmers agreed to tithe on the harvest to the church they belonged to. In 1946, Michigan's governor, Harry Keller, declared, or Kelly, declared August 1st, Biblical Wheat Day. That's the day Perry Hayden celebrated the sixth and final harvest. What started as 360 kernels planted on a four-by-foot, four-by-four plot resulted, watch this, in a harvest of 72,150 bushels of wheat valued at approximately $150,000. Adjusted for inflation, it'd be worth $1,449,577 in today's dollars. Thus ended one of the most amazing tithing experiments in history. What are you telling us, Pastor? I'm telling you this. The starting point to a blast life in the area of our finances is tithing. The starting point to a blessed life in the area of our finances is tithing. In Malachi 3.10, in the New Living Translation, it reads this way. Bring all, say all, bring all the tithes, the tenth into the, tenth into the storehouse, so, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, if I will not open for you, the windows of heaven, and pour out for you so great a blessing until there is no room to receive it. I believe that God is not a debtor. He is a rewarder. Your pastor has experienced this reality in the good times and in the bad times. I've experienced that God is faithful. God is reliable. God is trustworthy. God is not a man who is a, who will just tell you something to make you feel good and not fulfill it. He's faithful. So what is tithing all about. What is tithing about? Let me tell you what I believe tithing is about. As I've studied the scriptures, there are four things I want to highlight regarding tithing. First of all, tithing is about testifying. Tithing is about testifying. In the book of Genesis chapter 14, we read an account where there were four kings fighting against five kings and their armies. There were two alliances. One king gathered three other 
kings to join him in a battle. And then there was another king, the king of Sodom, who gathered four other kings and formed an alliance to fight against that other king. And so you have this battle going on in Genesis 14. And the result was that the king of Sodom was defeated by the king that he he decided to challenge. And that king ended up taking Abram's nephew Lot as a captive. And he took not only Abram's Lot and, uh, uh, nephew Lot, but he also took Lot's goods. He took them. He, he took them from him. When Abram gets word of this in Genesis 14, the Bible tells us that Abram then got 318 of, of his trained men that were raised in his household in order to go and rescue his nephew Lot. And the result was that God enabled Abram, even though he was outnumbered, to overcome the king and his armies. And he was able to rescue his nephew Lot and bring back all of Lot's goods as well. Now, when he gets back, the Bible tells us that he was met by the high priest by the name of Melchizedek. Notice, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a what? Of what? All. Tithe of all. He gave him a tithe of all. What was Abram doing? He was testifying. This high priest just told him, Blessed be God most high, who has delivered Abram's enemies into his hands. And then we see Abram, after that declaration, he then gives God a tithe of all. What was he doing? He was testifying. He was attesting to the fact that what the high priest had just declared was truthful. He was acknowledging two things. One, God is most high. In Hebrew, it's El Elyon, the name that Melchizedek called God by. El Elyon, most high God. It means the one who is supreme in authority and in power. So he was recognizing that God is the ultimate authority when he brought the tithe. But he was also testifying. I know that the victory I got today was not because I had a stronger army than the king that I pursued to deliver my nephew from. No, it's because when God is on your side, it doesn't matter if you're outnumbered, outgunned, and if you find yourself in a disadvantage. There is no situation that God cannot deliver you from. And so when I bring my tithe and I sow it into the house of God, I am testifying. I am declaring. I am saying, I know that this week when I received a paycheck in my hand, it wasn't because of my hands alone. What came into my hands came because of His hand, His power, His working in my life. You see, when I come and bring my tithe, I'm doing more than 
turning in an envelope with some money in it. I'm serving notice to heaven and to earth that I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When I tithe, I'm testifying to the devil. Devil, you thought you had me outnumbered. But even though you come against me with your host, I have the Lord of hosts who has two-thirds of heaven's armies at his disposal. And I'm testifying that the victory I have this week was because of him. Tithing is a means of testifying. And then tithing is a means of thanksgiving. Tithing is a means of thanksgiving. The Bible tells us in Genesis 28, beginning with verse 18, down to verse 22, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put it at his head, set it up as a pillar, and notice, he poured oil on top of it. He poured oil on top of it. Why did he pour oil on top of the stone? It's because he was recognizing that that place was sacred. It was a set-apart place. And if you look at the earlier part of chapter 28, what happened there is that he landed at a certain place, the Bible says. He thought it was coincidence when in fact it was providence. Because when he landed there, then as he went to sleep, the Bible says that the heavens opened in a dream and he saw angels of God. They were ascending and descending on a ladder. God was revealing to him, I'm here right now. I am what you thought was a coincidence I want to show you is my divine providence that wherever you find yourself you don't get there by accident I'm there leading and guiding you I want to remind somebody today what the scripture says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord I want you to understand that wherever you are at at your station in life right now it is not by accident it is not by coincidence it is by divine providence God is not clueless God is is powerful and God is faithful to lead your steps and you're going to make it because he is watching over your life. So he sets this place apart. And then it says, and he called the name of that place, notice, Bethel. Bethel means house of God. But the name of that city had been lust previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, say all, of all that you give me, I will surely give a what? Attempt to you. Now, let me backtrack. When Abram gave a tithe, it was 400, approximately 430 years before the law. Now, Jacob promising to give a tithe is 200 years before the law. What are you saying, Pastor? Tithing is not a law thing. Tithing begins with grace. And at the root of grace is the word gracia in Spanish, which means thanksgiving. You see, when I bring a tithe, it's not because I have to. It's because I have the mindset of I get to. I get to testify. I get to thank God because I know... 
I want you to get a hold of it. You see, he made a promise to God. He said, look, Lord, if, if, if you will be with me, and then if you will give me clothing and bread, bread and clothing, and then if you'll bring me back, what was he saying? If I have your presence, if I have your protection, and if I have your provision, then God, I will express to you my thanks. You know what's interesting? Earlier in Genesis 28, 15, God promised him. He told him, I'm going to be with you. I, wherever I lead you, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to guard you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm not going to leave you until I fulfill what I promised you. Let me tell you, is there anybody in this building right now that you know that God has been with you in the fire? You know that you've been through some stuff in your life and you were not alone. You were not abandoned. God was with you in the mix. Is there anybody here that knows today that you have a shirt on your back, a roof over your head, and you have daily bread that you get to enjoy because God is your daily provider? Is there anybody in this house that knows that the only reason you're still alive is because of the merciful hand of God that guarded and protect you? Ooh, this is why I tithe. When I tithe, I'm saying thank you, Lord, that this week you brought me through. Thank you, Lord, that this week your eye was on me and you watched over me. Thank you, God, that I have clothing and I have food because, Lord, I am worth more to you than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And, God, you have provided for me. And here's what I want you to see as well, that Jacob says, and if you'll bring me back like you promised. In other words, if you will fulfill your purpose in my life, well, I've got good news. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Tithing is a means of thanksgiving. Thirdly, tithing is a means of trusting. Tithing is a means of trusting. Water break. In Malachi 3.10. Somebody used to think it meant Malachi. No, it's Malachi. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi. Malachi 3.10, look what it says. Bring what? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And do what? Try me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven... And pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Notice God says, try me. What is he saying? Put me to the test. He is saying, trust me. Verify my trustworthiness. He says, put me to the test. Tithing is a means of trusting. you got to understand, God doesn't ask for our tithe because He has a cash flow problem. The Bible is clear. In Haggai 2-8, it says that the silver and the gold are mine, says the Lord. And in the book of Psalms, it says that a cattle of a thousand hills belongs to Him. God doesn't have a cash flow problem. Tithing is not a money issue. It has to do with trust. It's a 
trust issue. The reason why God calls us to give a tithe is so that we learn to trust Him in an area that is most difficult for most of us to trust in. In the area of our finances. In the area of our money. But I'm here to declare to you what I've learned in my journey is that God is able to do more with my 90% than I'm able to do with my 100%. God is able to show that He is the total sufficient one. The following is a true story. In 1984, Mike and his family belonged to an East Coast church. One Sunday evening, the sermon was on sacrificial offerings. And a special offering was taken at the end of the sermon. The only money in Mike's wallet was a $50 bill, which was supposed to buy a week's worth of groceries for his wife, their five children, and himself. However, in a move of faith, Mike put the $50 bill in the offering. Then after the conclusion of the service, the family went out to the parking lot to go home. Within minutes, they joyfully returned to the sanctuary and asked the pastor to come outside and see their miracle. Somewhat skeptical, the pastor accompanied them outside to their 20-year-old station wagon. Peering through the windows, he saw that the interior of the vehicle was completely filled with bags of groceries. Happy for the family, he remarked that someone had given them a huge blessing. You don't understand, Pastor, Mike said. Before service, I made sure that all the windows were rolled up and the doors were locked. I have the only key, so it must have been the Lord. To which the pastor added, giving truly is the only key to God's provision. Mike had no family living in the area and no one from that congregation ever claimed responsibility. This was witnessed by Reverend Robert Costa in Detroit, Michigan. Now, there's some people that doubt the veracity of that true account. But let me remind you of what the Scripture says. In Psalm 78, 25, you can write it down. Psalm 78, 25 says, Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. What are you saying, Pastor? If Jesus could provide through five loaves and two fishes for 5,000 men, including women and children, bringing the number up to potentially fifteen to 20,000, and if the Lord could provide for a widow woman, a bar that had a, a barrel of wheat that was coming down to its end. And for three and a half years, that barrel never ran out of flour. I know, and if my Jesus, after his resurrection, proved there's no locked door that I can't go through, there is no hindrance to what I can do, then I believe that God supernaturally is able to provide today in 2020 like he did in 1984 for Mike and his family. But will you take God's challenge today? You see, God is saying through Malachi, I double dog dare you to trust me. I double dog dare you to put me to the test. Why? Because God 
God's shoulders are big enough to carry your need. God is able to supply all our need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, the psalmist said, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. I want you to understand today, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. And when you entrust your life to Him, and you entrust your need to Him, God will show you again, I am El Shaddai, not El Chipo. I am God who is more than enough and able to provide for what you have need of. Woo! My, my, my. One more thing. Tithing is a means of terminating. Tithing is a means of terminating. What are you saying, Pastor? If you read Malachi 3 and then go to verse 11, here's a promise. God says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. These Israelis, these Hebrews, they were an agricultural people. They, were, they, they lived off of agriculture. And here is what God is saying. He says, if you bring your tithe, you bring it to my storehouse, then I'm going to look after your fields. And I'm not going to allow the devourer to encroach upon your fields and devour the harvest. Now, Jesus points out to us in the New Testament that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10.10. Who is the thief? It's the devil. And how many times does the devil try to come in and he tries to encroach and he tries to take away what we have worked and toiled for and he tries to devour our harvest. But God says, if you trust me, I will terminate the enemy's advancements when he plots and he schemes and he tries to wiggle and work his way into your harvest field and take away from you your harvest and destroy it. God says... I will stop him dead in his tracks and I will see to it that you do receive the fruit of your labor. I'm here to tell somebody today that the devil's days of trespassing on your property are over today because you're making up your mind. I'm going to let the one who is keeper, the one who watches over, I'm going to allow him to be the one who takes care of me. When you do that, you will experience breakthrough in your life. But there's other things that will be terminated. When you give your tithes, you know what's going to be terminated? It's worry in your life. It's fear in your life. Because once you start living by faith and trusting God in your tithe, then he says, I'm going to open, see if I will not open the windows of heaven. And you start to realize that he is faithful. It will build trust in you to the degree that when the enemy comes with fear, you're going to say, "Uh uh-uh, devil, you used to use that against me. But now I know that God is true to his word and he will not be able to use fear and worry against your life. But there's something else that is terminated when you and I tithe pride why because the bottom line is especially us men we want to live like we want to live large and act like we're in charge 
And this is why for men this is a hard issue. Women are more prone to, to say yes to tithing. Men struggle because we want to think it's our money. We're in charge. Let me address what I addressed in Cutler. There are people in the church that will say, well, I've been making it. Yeah, you've been making it and I haven't been tithing. Yeah, you have, but by the sweat of your brow. And you got to bang on your head to try to figure out how am I going to do it next month. And I'm going to, when you're a tither, you're not worried because you know it's now in his hands. I'm telling you through experience, when you're a tither, you're not living in fear. You're living in confidence because you know your father will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're a tither, it's an, it's an acknowledgement. I know that I don't owe anything, own anything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. My tithe is releasing. It not only releases to God, it also releases me from having to be in charge. Because here's the reality. I am frail. I am weak. My wit and my understanding has a limit. But God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And when I release to Him, then He releases His provision in my life. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals and follow through. At the age of 23, he had become a millionaire. By the age of 50, a billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored to create his personal power and wealth. But three years later, at the age of 53, he became ill. His entire body became racked with pain. And he lost all the hair on his head. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest milk and crackers. An associate of his wrote, he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted that he would die within a year. That year passed agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with the vague remembrances of a dream. He could barely recall the dream, but knew it had something to do with not being able to take any of his successes with him unto the next life, the next world. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized he was not in control of his own life. He was left with the choice. He called his attorneys, accountants, and managers and announced that he wanted to channel his assets to hospitals, research, and mission work. On that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin and cures for current strains of malaria and tuberculosis. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice is enormous. But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that the moment he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, his body's chemistry was altered so significantly that he would get better. It looked like he would die at 53, but he lived to be 98 years old. Rockefeller learned gratitude and gave back from his wealth. Doing so 
made him whole. Listen to this. It is one thing to be healed. It's a whole nother thing to be made whole. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to make us whole. As I bring this message to a close, there's one more story I want to share. It's a story of a missionary in Africa who received a knock on the door of his hut one afternoon. Answering, the missionary found a native boy holding a large fish in his hands. The boy said, Reverend, you taught us what tithing is. So here, I brought you my tithe. As the missionary gratefully took the fish, he questioned the boy, If this is your tithe, where are the other nine fish? At this, the boy beamed and said, Oh, they're still back in the river. I'm going back to catch them now. This boy understood a truth that you and I need to learn. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. What are you saying, Pastor? When you tithe, sometimes it feels like a funeral. I'm going to miss you. You were so good. But there comes a day when you make this a practice, it's no longer an obligation. It becomes a celebration. God, I'm so grateful. Because I can testify, you gave me victory again. God, you're the ultimate authority and you proved it again. Lord, I bring you my tithe and I just want to say thank you because you were with me. You protected me. You provided. Lord, I trust you so I entrust to you my tithe. Lord, I thank you. That as I tithe today, no matter what the devil has planned against my life, you're going to terminate it. You're going to terminate it. And I am going to reap my harvest. In money and in what money cannot buy. I'm telling you, when we tithe, we're releasing. Not only to God, but then we begin to experience a release in ourselves of those things that would keep us bound from enjoying and experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. It's not a money issue. It's a trust issue. Amen. Father, I thank you because you are the Lord of hosts. You're the God of heaven's armies. And I thank you that you are trustworthy. I've seen it in my life over and over again. You've shown me. You've revealed it. You've demonstrated it to me and my wife. God, I thank you. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. 
You say, Pastor, why did you bring this message today? Because you see, you and I, we can't be truly blessed until we decide to trust and obey. There's an old song that says, trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I've often said obedience opens the door to the miraculous. It was only when Moses dared to obey the instruction to stretch out his rod over the Red Sea that God made a way where there was no way. It was only when Martha along with those she asked to help her, rolled away the stone from Lazarus' tomb that she saw the glory of God resurrecting her brother who had been dead for four days. Only when they obeyed. God is calling you to obedience today. Because He knows that only as you learn to trust Him will you experience wholeness in your life. And for some of us, there are trust issues. And God is saying, I know, I know you got burned. I know that person that you looked to dropped you. But I want to so prove to you that's not my character. I won't drop you. I won't hurt you. I will heal you. I will make you whole. Those that are of our prayer team, would you come right now? There's some of you today that that's the issue. The issue of trust. You say, Pastor, I want to trust God. But I struggle with trust. Mm. The Bible says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to challenge you today to do that. And at the heart of trust is the idea of entrusting, of turning over. Turning over from your hands to His hands. There's some of you that need healing right now because of trust issues. God wants to heal you today. That's this place He wants to bring about His power and show you that He's trustworthy. That's you. I want you to make your way forward right now. Come, come. Don't wait on anybody. 
I want you to entrust your heart to Him. He wants to heal it today. He wants to make you whole. He wants to prove to you that He's a good, good Father that you can rely on. Your pastor has experienced that in my journey. I had a broken heart. And I fear to trust. But God showed Himself faithful. He not only healed my heart, but He gave me a revelation of His heart for me that has brought healing. There's others of you today. Come, come, come. Come, entrust. Entrust yourself. Entrust your heart to God. He wants to touch you today. He wants to transform you today. Come. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba.